What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome back to another episode of Time Out with Tony, your host, Tony. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so today's episode, we're taking a bit of a uh, turn uh, today, and um, yeah, a bit of a turn. So today, ladies and gents, we're going to be reviewing, well, I wouldn't exactly call it a, well, it was a bit of a crime. We're gonna be honest. Not really. It's more of a accident, really. That uh, well, it's really more hmm, more of a scandal. There we go. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be taking a look, not at a true crime like a murder or or, or, or a murder or a kidnapping or anything like that. No, no, no. We're looking at a scandal, political scandal. Oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, we're talking about hiding bodies, and no, I'm joking. But um, yeah, no, it's quite an interesting incident that happened. Uh, this took place about maybe 50 years ago. Um, it was an incident that ultimately ended in the death of a in the, in the death of a was he under the influence yeah she was of an intoxicated woman and a ruined political career of a member of the kennedy family and if you don't know what i'm talking about i'm talking about the chappaquiddick incident now this is an incident that may be is forever referenced when it comes to political to political or to uh, political situations or you know when someone tries to hide something from their own past a chappaquiddick you know oh shit this is your chappaquiddick oh no you're chappaquiddick you'll understand as i explain it but you know this is where that term comes from now um this incident is quite the incident if i don't say so myself now before we get to today's episode i want to take a quick minute and thank you guys all so much for the support it means a lot really so keep it up and most of all spread the word tell your mom tell your dad tell your brother tell your sister tell your family tell everybody and feel free to follow us on our instagram at timeout underscore with tony podcast new episodes every wednesdays and saturdays all right ladies and gentlemen i'm not going to take much more of your time let's just get straight to today's episode without further ado Sit back, relax, and crack open a beer, soda, and your water, folks, and enjoy because, well, this is the Chappaquiddick Incident. Alrighty, so, now for those of you that are new to the series, here's how these kind of episodes go. So first... I look at the, not background, just a quick summary of the incident. After that, I take a look at the background, what happened, the events, the aftermath, and my personal thoughts and opinions on the incident. Um, so, for those of you that don't know, the Chappaquiddick incident was a, scene, was a single vehicle car crash that occurred on Chappaquiddick Island in Massachusetts sometime between... Uh, midnight, Friday, July 18th, 1969, and in the early hours of Saturday, July 19th, 1969. The crash was caused by then-Senator Edward M. Kennedy, Edward M. Ted Kennedy, brother of the late 35th President, John Fitzgerald Kennedy. 
Uh, no, Senator Te- Senator Kennedy's negligence resulted in the death of his 28-year-old passenger, Mary Jo Koch, who was trapped inside the vehicle. Now, Kennedy left the party on Chappaquiddick Island at around 11.15 p.m. on Friday with Mary Jo. He maintained that his intent was to immediately take Mary Jo to a ferry landing and return to Edgartown. Unfortunately, however, he made a wrong turn onto a dirt road which led into a one-lane bridge. And after Scar skidded off the bridge and into the pouch of pound, Kennedy swam free and maintained that he tried to rescue Mary Jo as the car submerged, but he could not save her. Coach's death was estimated to have happened around 11.30 p.m. on Friday and 1 a.m. on Saturday, as an off-duty deputy sheriff said that he saw a car matching Kennedy's uh, at around 12.40 a.m. Kennedy left the scene but did not report the, stand- the crash until- to police until after 10 a.m. on Saturday. Meanwhile, a diver uh, recovered Mary Jo's body from the senator's car shortly before 9 a.m. on Saturday. At a July 25, 1969 court hearing, Kennedy pled guilty to a charge of leaving the scene of an accident and received a two-month suspended jail sentence. In a televised statement that same evening, he said his conduct immediately after the crash made no sense to me at all. End quote, and that he regarded his failure to report the crash immediately as indefensible. A January 5, 1970 judicial inquest concluded that Kennedy and Mary Jo had not intended to take the ferry and that, uh, senator, that the senator intentionally toward, turned toward the bridge operating his vehicle negligently, if not recklessly, at a too high speed for the hazard for which the bridge posed in the dark. The judge stopped short of recommending charges and a grand jury convened on April 6, 1970, returning no indictment. A month later, on May 27, a registry of motor vehicles hearing resulted in the senator's driving license being suspended for a total of 16 months after the car crash. Like, that's gonna fuck up a Kennedy. The Chappaquiddick incident then became national news that influenced Kennedy's decision not to run for president in 1972 and again in 1976. It was said to have undermined his chances of ever becoming president. Ultimately, the senator ran for the uh, entered the 1980 Democratic presidential primaries, but unfortunately earned only 37.6% of the vote and lost the nomination to incumbent President Jimmy Carter. Now, so you got this Senator Ted Kennedy fella, you know, he's a good looking fella, you know, he's making the good connections, being a handsome fella, everything a Kennedy usually does. And then he goes on a party. He thinks he's gonna get, he's gonna play hooky with this woman, but unfortunately, it all goes wrong. And she ends up at the bottom of the fucking bridge, and he gets caught with his pants down, and someone's dead. Now he can't even run for fucking president. Well, yeah. So, God, this is fucked up. So, for the background, U.S. Senator Edward Kennedy. Or as everyone called him, Ted, age 37 at the time, and his cousin Joseph Gargan, age 39, planned to raise Kennedy Sable the Victoria in the 1969 Edward, sorry, Edgar Town Yacht Club Regatta on Friday and uh, Saturday, July 18th, and 19, 1969. After having foregone the previous year's regatta because of the assassination of Kennedy's brother Robert that same June. <clears throat> Gargan rented 
uh, secluded Lawrence, co- the secluded Lawrence Cottage for the weekend on Chappaquiddick Island, which is a tiny island accessible by ferry from Edgartown on Martha's Vineyard. They hosted a cookout party at the cottage at six, sorry, at eight thirty p.m. that evening as a reunion for the Boiler Room Girls, women who had served on Robert's nineteen sixty eight presidential campaign. Six of these attendees, sorry, six of these women attended the party. One of them was Mary Jo. The other women, Rosemary Coe, Esther Newberg, Sisters Nance, and Mary Ellen Lyons, Susan Tannenbaum, all of which, all of which were in their 20s and single. Keep that in mind. Now, the men at the party included the crew of Kennedy's sailboat, uh, his cousin, Paul Markham, a school friend of Gargan who had previously served in the, uh, as the U.S. Attorney for Massachusetts, and John P. Crimmins, age 63 at the time, a longtime political associate of Kennedy who served as a chauffeur for the weekend. Others additionally in attendance were attorney Charles Treder, a Kennedy advisor, Raymond LaRosa, who had worked on Kennedy's Senate, uh, Senate campaigns. Now, all these men, keep in mind, were married except Crimmins, and their wives were not invited because uh, it's the 60s. Men still tell women what to do. Other friends and campaign workers, male and female, had been invited but did not intend for various reasons because, you know, I mean, if we can invite this vineyard, actually, does sound kind of nice, actually. I won't lie. I've never even been there, but I hope to. <clears throat> now, Markham and Crimmins intended to spend the night at the cottage while the others were booked in at hotels on Martha's Vineyard. The men at the Shiretown Inn, one block from the Edgartown Ferry Slip, and the women at the Katama Shores Motor Inn, about two miles south of the Ferry Slip. Now, let's get into the events. Now, according to Senator Kennedy, Mary Jo asked him to give her a ride back to her hotel in Katama. The senator requested the keys to his car, which he did not usually drive, from his chauffeur, Crimmins. Kennedy put this time at approximately 11.15 p.m., although he was not wearing a watch. The time came from Crimmins. Returning to Edgartown, Katama required making the last ferry, which left the island at midnight, or else yeah, you have to arrange a later ferry, you know? And that would really piss off the very people. I mean, woof. I mean, you get your thing. Yeah, I think kitchen workers get mad when you come in half an hour before closing. Imagine how the ferry workers feel. Shame. I mean, uh, okay, where was I? Mm-hmm. I already lost one. All right, so Mary Jo told no one else that she was leaving for the night with Senator Kennedy. And in fact, she left her purse and hotel key at the party. Now, this is where it really gets weird. The exact time the crash occurred is unknown due to a conflict between the testimony of the senator and the deputy sheriff who claimed to have seen his car at a later time. Kennedy claimed that as soon as he left the party, he immediately drove one half mile north on Chappaquiddick Road, headed for the ferry landing, and mistakenly made a wrong turn right onto the dirt uh, dirt dike road instead of bearing left to stay on the paved Chappaquiddick Road for another two and a half miles. Now, there is also a northbound uh, dirt cemetery road at this intersection. Part-time Deputy deputy Sheriff Christopher Huck Look left work at around 12.30 a.m. on Saturday as a gate guard in uniform for the uh, the regatta dance. He returned to Chappaquiddick Island in the Yacht Yacht Club's private boat and drove east 
and south on Chappaquiddick Road towards his home. At around 12.40 a.m., after he passed the intersection with Dyke Road, he saw a dark four-door sedan being driven by a man and a woman in the front seat, approaching and passing slowly in front of him. The car drove onto the pavement, onto Cemetery Road, and stopped. Thinking the occupants of the car might be lost, Luke stopped and walked towards the vehicle, and when he was 25 to 30 feet away from the car, it reversed and started backing up towards him. As he called out to offer to help, the car moved forward and veered quickly and uh, uh, eastward, veered quickly eastward onto the dike road, spinning away and leaving a cloud of dust. Look, recalled the car's license plate began with an L and contained two sevens, consistent with Kennedy's license L78207 on his Oldsmobile Delmont 88. He returned to his car and continued on his way south. Luke's version, if Drew leaves over an hour of Kennedy's time with Mary Jo unaccounted before the crash. About a minute later, Luke saw Kennedy's party guests Nance and Nance and Mary Ellen Alliance and Ray La Rosa dancing in a conga line down the middle of the Chappaquiddick Road, a short distance south of Dyke Bridge. He stopped to ask if they needed a ride, which they declined. La Rosa and the Lions sisters corroborated Luke's testimony about meeting him in the road and a verbal exchange, but they were unsure of the time. They also said that they saw a vehicle driving north on Chappaquiddick Road, which they could not describe in any detail. Dyke Road leads seven-tenths of a mile, a wooden structure angled uh, ob ob obliquely to the road, crossing the channel, connecting Cape Pond to the north and Pouchapon Pouch uh, to the south, leading eastward to a barrier beach known as Tom Next Point. Now, at the time, the bridge was not fitted with guardrails, and a fraction of a second before Kennedy reached the bridge, he applied his brakes, lost control, which launched over the southern end of the bridge, and plunged nose first into the channel and flipped over, resting on its roof. Now, according to Senator Kennedy here, he said that he was able to swim free of the vehicle. However, Mary Jo was not. Kennedy said that he called her name several times before he went uh, several times from the shore. And he also tried to uh, swim down to reach her about seven or eight times and then rested on the bank for around 15 minutes before he would uh, return to uh, return to Lawrence Cotton Cottage on foot. He denied seeing any house with a light on during his 15 minute walk back and his route back took him about four house took him past four houses from which he would have telephoned to summon help before he reached the cottage. But he did not attempt to contact any local residency. Uh, the first of the houses was Dyke House, which was about 150 uh, yards from the bridge and was occupied by Sylvia Mom and her family. Now, Miss Mom here stated that she uh, later stated that she was home. She had a phone and she had left the light on at the residence and she when she retired that evening. Kennedy returned to the cottage where the party was still in progress, but rather than alerting all the guests of the crash, he quietly summoned Gargan and Markham and collapsed in the back seat of a rented Plymouth Valiant parked in the driveway. Gargan drove the three to the side of the crash and in order to try to rescue Mary Jo from Kennedy's overturned car, Gargan and Markin jumped into the pond and tried to repeatedly tried repeatedly to rescue her. But however, their attempts were unsuccessful and they weren't able to do so because of the uh, strong tidal current. After they recovered, however, Gargan drove Markham uh sorry, yeah. Someone's. Ooh, okay. Apologies, I thought someone was driving up. 
Uh, where was I? Mm -mm, so he jumped into the pond. Okay, so after this, Guardian drove Kennedy and Markham to the ferry landing. Uh, the three, who were all lawyers, discussed that they should uh, what they should do while standing next to a public phone booth at the landing. Now keep in mind, these three were all lawyers. We're next to a public phone booth, wondering what to do. Gargam and Markham insisted multiple times that the car uh, that the car crash had to be reported to the authorities. Uh, Kennedy suddenly then drove into the channel, swam the 500 feet across the Edgerton, and returned to his hotel room where he removed his clothes and then collapsed on his bed. He later put on dry clothes, left his room, and some and asked someone what time it was. By this time, it was already 2:30 in the morning. He recalled. Meanwhile, Gargam and Markham had driven the rental car back to the cottage. There, they entered the cottage at approximately 2 a.m., but told no one what had happened. When questioned by the guests, they said that Kennedy had swum back to Edgartown and Mary Jo was probably at her hotel. Gargan then told everyone to get some sleep. Flash forward to 7.30 a.m. Kennedy was talking casually to the winner of the previous day's sailing race and gave no indication that anything was amiss. By 8 a.m., Gargan and Markham had crossed back to Edgartown on the ferry to meet with Kennedy. <clears throat> now, you see how, how this is very uh, suspicious, don't you see? Sometime after 8 a.m. that morning, a man and a 15-year-old boy who went fishing off Tom Neck's Point saw Kennedy's submerged car in Pouch Pond and notified the residents of the cottage uh, near the scene, who in turn called the authorities at around 8.20 a.m. Edgartown Police Chief Dominic James Arena arrived at the scene about 10 or 15 minutes later. He attempted to examine the interior of the submerged vehicle and then summoned a trained scuba driver and sorry, diver and equipment capable of towing or winching the vehicle out of the water. John Farrar, captain of the Edgar Fire Rescue Unit, arrived at around 8.45 a.m., equipped with scuba gear, and discovered Mary Jo's body in the back seat. He uh, extricated, extricated, he extricated it from within the vehicle in, within 10 minutes. Police checked the car's license plate and saw that it was registered to Kennedy. Rosemary, uh, Rosemary Coe's purse was found in the front passenger compartment of the car, causing Arena to misidentify Mary Jo. Meanwhile, Kennedy, Gargan, Markin, sorry, and Markham crossed back to Chappaquiddick Island on the ferry, where Kennedy made a series of telephone calls from a payphone near the ferry, crossing the same phone that the three men had stood by approximately six hours earlier, discussing Kennedy's option. Kennedy called friends and lawyers for advice. However, instead of notifying the authorities again, he was that he was the part uh, that he was the uh, operator of the vehicle, which was still upside down in Pachapon. He called his brother-in-law Stephen Edward Smith, Congressman John V. Tooney, and others that morning, but still, he did not report the accident to authorities. Kennedy was able to still use the uh, sorry. Kennedy was still at the payphone when he heard that his car and Mary Jo's body had been discovered. He then crossed back to Edgartown to go to the police station with Markham. Meanwhile, Gargan uh, and sorry went to the Katama Shores to inform the Boiler Room girls of the incident. Kennedy entered the police station at around 9.50 a.m. and asked to make some phone calls. He was told that he could use Arena's office. When Arena returned to the station at around 10, he was stunned to learn that Kennedy already knew the accident and the true identity of the victim, and he admitted that he was the driver. Arena led Kennedy to another empty office where he could privately dictate a statement to Markham, who wrote it out in longhand. Arena then typed it out in statement.
Um, and then I would read the statement, but I really don't feel like reading it. It's just, you know, it's basically the same as what I'm reading you guys right now. As the medical examiner, Dr. Robert Nevin had the day off. Associate medical examiner, Dr. Donald Mills, was called to the crash site to examine the body. He was satisfied that the cause of death was accidental drowning, but asked the district attorney's office for direction on whether the autopsy was necessary and was told it was not, as long as there were no signs of foul play and he was satisfied that it was a drowning. He signed the death certificate to that effect and released the body for embalming and directed that a blood sample be collected and sent to the state police for analysis and blood content. The result was 0.9%, which Mills mistakenly thought represented only a moderate level, but in fact indicated a person of Mary Jo's weight up to five drinks of liquor within an hour prior to death. Mary Jo's body was released to her family and the funeral was held in July on July 22nd in Plymouth, Pennsylvania. Medical examiner, sorry, medical examiner Doc, uh, Nevin strongly disagreed with Mills' decision to forego the autopsy, believing that ruling out foul play would work to Kennedy's advantage by laying uh, pure public speculation to rest. Farrar, who discovered Mary Jo's body from the submerged car, believed that Mary Jo had, had died from suffocation rather than drowning or from the impact of the overturned vehicle based on the posture in which the body, in which he found the body in the well of the backseat of the car, where an air pocket would have formed. Regan Morris was apparent, and her hands were clasping in the backseat, and her face was turned upward. Bob Mola, an inspector for the Massachusetts Registry of Motor Vehicles, who investigated the crash at the time, said that parts of the roof and the trunk appeared to be dry. Farrar publicly asserted that, Co uh, that Mary Jo likely would have survived if a more timely secure rescue attempt had been uh, conducted. Now, of course, because it's a, it's a, this is a Kennedy we're talking about, there's a, there's, a, there's a defense tragedy for him. Kennedy returned to his family's compound in Hyannisport. Stephen Smith, Robert McNamara, Ted Sorensen, Richard and Goodwin, Lem Billings, Milton Gritzwordsman, David W. Burke, John Govert, Tony Gargaman, Markham, and others arrived to advise him. Smith, the Kennedy family business manager and quote-unquote master fixer, resigned himself to the fact that the political damage had been done and that Kennedy's chance for ever running uh, for president at the time was gone, which at the next window would be in 1972. Again, that's all gone. Now, the remaining problem was how to protect him from a charge of manslaughter. His court hearing was, a, was held before Massachusetts District Court Judge James Boyle on July 25th, a week after the incident. Kennedy pleaded guilty to a charge of leaving the scene of an accident causing bodily injury. His attorneys argued that any jail sentence should be suspended and that prosecutors agreed by that uh, by citing his age, 37 at the time, character, and prior reputation. Saying, quote, considering the unblemished record of the defendant and insofar as the Commonwealth represents, this is not a case where he was really trying to conceal his identity. End quote. Judge Boyle sentenced him to, uh, to the statutory minimum two months in prison, which he then suspended, saying, quote, he had already been and will continue to be punished far beyond anything this court can impose. End quote. Despite an Associated Press story published that morning, Boyle was unaware that Kennedy's driving record was, in fact, far from unblemished. 
While attending the University of Virginia Law, uh, School of Law from 1956 to 1959, he had compiled a record of reckless driving and driving without a license. In one particular incident on March 14, 1958, Kennedy had run a red light, cut his taillights, and raced to avoid uh, to avoid a highway patrol officer. When Kennedy was caught in the act, he was cited for reckless driving, racing to avoid pursuit, and driving without a license. Kennedy's wife, Joan, was pregnant at the time of the Chappaquiddick incident, and she was confined to bed because of two previous miscarriages, but she attended Mary Jo's funeral and stood beside her husband in court. Unfortunately, after she suffered a third miscarriage, which she eventually went on to blame on the Chappaquiddick incident. Now, after this... Kennedy made a, a televised statement on July 25th at 7.30 p.m. where he delivered a lengthy speech about the incident prepared by Sorensen and broadcast live by at least three television networks. Uh, he explained that his wife did not accompany him to the regatta due to reasons of health. He denied that he engaged in any immoral conduct with Mary Jo or driving under the influence of alcohol that evening. He said that his conduct during the hours immediately after the accident made no sense to me at all, end quote. And said that his doctors had informed him that he had, uh, that he was under the, suffered, that he had suffered a cerebral concussion and shock. He said he regarded his failure to report the accident to the police immediately as indefensible and to the horror of Gargan's attorney, his statement revealed his enlistment of the help of Gargan and Markham to try to rescue Mary Jo, despite assurances that he, assurances he made to the effect that he would not involve them at all. That's, my boy said, "If I'm going down, I'm taking you with me." He said, "Quote all kinds of thought, all kinds of scrambled thoughts." End quote went through his mind after the accident, including whether the girl might still be alive somewhere out of that immediate area, whether some awful curse actually did hang all over the Kennedys, or whether there was just some justifiable reason for me to doubt what had happened and to delay my report, and whether somehow the awful weight of the incredible incident in, my, in some way passed from my shoulders. He said that he was overcome by a jumble of emotions, grief, fear, doubt, exhaustion, panic, confusion, and shock. He said that he was instructed. That he said he said that he instructed Gargam and Markham not to alarm Mary Jo's friends at night, and then he returned to the ferry with two men and suddenly jumped into the water and impulsively swam across, nearly drowning once again in the effort. Returning to my hotel around 2 a.m. and collapsed in my room. Kennedy then put down his manuscript and continued reading from uh from the cue cards and asked the people of Massachusetts whether or not he should resign. The speech then concluded with the passage quoted from John F. Kennedy's book, Profiles and Courage, saying, quote, A man does what he must in spite of personal consequences, end quote. Critical reaction to the speech was met was immediate and negative. NBC newsman John Chancellor compared it to Richard Nixon's 1952 Checkers speech. Kennedy admired David Hubbard's stump, wrote in Harper's Magazine that it was, quote, of such cheapness and bathos as to be a reaction, sorry, a rejection of everything the Kennedys had stood for in candor and style. It was as if these men had forgotten everything in which the in which made, sorry, forgotten everything which made the Kennedys distinctive in American politics, and simply told the youngest brother brother that he could gay, get away, sorry, that he could get away with whatever he wanted because he was a Kennedy in Massachusetts. End quote. 
Now, after this, there was an inquest, and despite receiving many messages from voters opposed to his resignation, sorry, opposed to his resignation from the Senate reaction in much of the news media and of District Attorney Edmund Dennis, was that Kennedy's televised speech left many questions unanswered about how the accident happened and his delay in reporting it. On July 31, 1969, the same day Kennedy returned to his Senate seat, Dennis wrote to the Chief Justice of Massachusetts Superior Court, Joseph Taro, asking for a judicial inquest into Mary Jo's death. He received the response the next day that such inquests are under the jurisdiction of the district court. Dennis then sent his request to Kenneth Nash, the Chief Justice of the lower court. Nash advised Dennis that a grand jury investigation had more teeth than an inquest, as it had the power to indict defendants, whereas an inquest was only authorized to determine if a crime had been committed. Dennis met with Edgartown District, uh, District Court Judge James Boyle on August 8th to explain his reasons for requesting the inquest. Boyle did not recuse himself, even though he had presided over the hearing at which Kennedy pled guilty. Boyle announced that the inquest was scheduled to start on September 3rd and would be open to the press. On September 2nd, Kennedy's lawyer petitioned the Massachusetts Supreme Court for a temporary injunction against the inquest, which was granted. Now, there was also an exhumation battle as well. Dennis petitioned for an exhumation and an autopsy for Mary Jo's body. On September 18, 1969, he publicly disclosed that blood had been found on her long-sleeved blouse in her mouth and her nose which may or may not be consistent with death by drowning, when her clothes were given to the authorities by the funeral director. Judge Bernard Brominski of the Court of Common Pleas in Luzerne County, Pennsylvania, held a hearing uh, on the request on October 20th, uh, between October 20th and 21st. The request was opposed by Mary Jo's parents. Forensic pathologist Warner Spitz testified on behalf of Joseph and Gwen Kopchin. Uh, that the autopsy was necessary, un, sorry, unnecessary, and that all available evidence was sufficient to conclude that Mary Jo had died from drowning. Brominski ruled that the exhumation on December 1st, saying that there was no evidence that anything other than drowning had caused the death of Mary Jo. The inquest convened in Edgartown in January of 1970. At the request of Kennedy's lawyers, the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial ordered it to be performed secretly with, John, with Judge James A. Boyle presiding, and then the 763-page transcript was released four months later. Kennedy testified that Mary Jo told him when he was about to leave the party that she was serious of leaving and asked, quote, if I would be kind enough to drop her back at her hotel, end quote. Crimmins and some other guests were concluding their meal and joined the fellowship, and it didn't appear to be necessary to require him to bring me back to Edgartown. End cool. Witnesses at the party variously placed the time of Kennedy and Mary Jo's departure between 11 and 11.45. Kennedy also testified that he never stopped on Cemetery Road, never backed up, never saw the deputy, or never saw another car or person after he left the cottage with Mary Jo. He also further claimed that after he turned onto Dyke Road, he was driving and did not realize that he was no longer headed west toward the ferry landing, but was instead heading west towards the barrier beach. Kennedy estimated his speed at the time of the accident to be approximately 20, uh, 20 miles per hour. Kennedy testified that he had full intention of reporting it, and I mentioned the guy. Sorry, sorry, yeah. Wait. Ah, goddammit. Okay. 
said that he had full intention of reporting it, and quote, and I mentioned to Gargan and Markham something like, you take care of the other girls, I'll take care of the incident. That is what I said when I dove into the water, end quote. Kennedy had told Gargum and Markham not to tell any other women about the incident because, quote, I feel strongly that if these girls were notified about the accident had taken place and Mary Jo had in fact drowned, that it would be only a matter of time, uh, that it only would be a matter of, of seconds before all those girls who were long and dear friends of Mary Jo would go to the scene of the accident and enter the water with, I felt, a good chance that some serious mishap might have occurred to one of them, end quote. Kennedy also testified that he was back at the hotel and almost tossed and turned and walked around in that room. I had not given hope at all that night. By some miracle, Mary Jo had escaped that car. End quote. Kennedy complained to the hotel owner at 2.55 a.m. that he had been awakened by a, no- a noisy party. At around 8 a.m., Gargam and Markham found him at his hotel where they had a heated conversation in Kennedy's room. According to Kennedy's testimony, the two men asked why he had not reported the accident and responded by telling them about my own thoughts and feelings as I swam across the channel that somehow when they arrived in the morning that they were going to say that Mary Jo was still alive, end quote. Markham testified that the rescue attempt Kennedy was, uh, that after the rescue attempt, Kennedy was sobbing and on the verge of becoming crazed. Gargum and Markham testified that they assumed Kennedy was going to inform the authorities about the accident once he got back to Edgartown, and so they did not report it themselves. In an October 15, 1994 interview with Ronald, for Ronald Kessler's book, The Sins of the Father, Joseph P. Kennedy and the Dynasty he founded, Gargan said that him and Markham returned to the scene of the accident with Kennedy, where they both urged him to report the accident to the police. The conversation was brief about having to report it. Gargan told Kessler, a former Washington Post reporter for the book, quote, I was assistant on it. Paul Markham was backing me up on it. Ted said, okay, okay, Joey, okay. I got the point. I got the point, end quote. Then he took a few steps back, dove into the water, and leaving Markham and I, expecting that he would carry out the conversation. And, uh, <clears throat> well, as you can obviously see, he didn't, he didn't exactly, uh, you know, do that, <laughs> On April 6, 1978, Dukes County Grand Jury assembled in special session to investigate the death. Judge Wilfred Paquette instructed the members of the grand jury that they could consider that they could consider only matters brought to their attention by the Superior Court, the district attorney, or the personal knowledge. He cited the orders of the Massachusetts Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court and told the grand jury that if he could not see the evidence or Boyle's report from the inquest, which were still impounded, Dennis had attended the inquest and seen Boyle's report and told the grand jury that there was not enough evidence to indict Kennedy on potential charges of manslaughter, perjury, or driving to endanger. The grand jury called for uh, called four witnesses who had not testified at the inquest. They testified for a total 20 minutes, but in the end, no indictment was issued. Now, there have been some fringe theories. Journalist Jack Olson wrote the first investigative book on the case, titled The Bridge at Chappaquiddick in the year 1970, attempting to solve some of the unanswered questions of the incident. Lieutenant Bernie Flynn of State Police... Apologies, one minute. Testing, testing. Okay. Sorry. Uh, Lieutenant Bernie Flynn of the state police, uh, a state police detective assigned to the Cape Cod District Attorney's Office, was a Kennedy admirer who had 
come up with a theory which he couldn't prove that Kennedy got out of the car and Mary Jo drove herself off the bridge, saying, quote, Ten- Kennedy didn't want to admit to being drunk with a broad in a car late at night and when he saw Huck. Look, he got scared. He thought a cop was coming after him, end quote, and Flynn claimed to have told this theory to Olsen, who didn't seem very impressed, although Olsen denied having ever talked to Flynn. He related his theory in his book. Mary Jo was 5'2", a foot, an entire foot shorter than Kennedy, and Olsen argued that she might possibly not have seen the bridge as she drove Kennedy's car over unfamiliar roads at night with no external lighting. After she had consumed several alcoholic drinks, he wrote that Mary Jo normally drove a Volkswagen Beetle, which was much smaller and lighter and easier to handle than Kennedy's large Oldsmobile 88. A BBC Inside Story episode titled Chappaquiddick, which broadcast on the 25th anniversary of the incident in 1994, repeated Flynn's theory. The episode argued that the explanation would account for Kennedy's lack of concern in the morning as he was unaware of the accident and for the forensic evidence of the injuries to Mary Jo's being inconsistent with her uh, sitting in the passenger seat. Fourth generation Chappaquiddick president Bill Pinney in his 2017 book Chappaquiddick Speaks presents a theory that Coach was actually seriously injured in an earlier crash and that the bridge accident was fake. The book laments how the accident robbed Chappaquiddick of its traditional peace and privacy, attracting large tourist groups wanting to view the sites connected to the tragedy. In the aftermath of the case, uh, it evoked much satire for Kennedy. For example, Time magazine reported immediately after the incident that, quote, one sick joke already visualizes a Democrat asking about Nixon during the 1972 presidential campaign saying, quote, would you let this man sell you a used car? Answer, yes, but I sure wouldn't let Teddy drive it, end quote. A mock advertisement in the National Lampoon magazine showed a floating Vicks, uh, sorry, Volkswagen Beetle, itself a parody of a, Vax, of a Volkswagen Be- uh, Beetle advertisement, showing that the vehicle... Uh, showing that the vehicle's underside was so well sealed that it could float on water, but with the caption coat, if Ted Kennedy drove a, walks, a, a Volkswagen, he'd be president today, end quote. The satire resulted in legal action by Volkswagen, claiming unauthorized use of its trademark, and the matter was eventually settled out of court. Following his televised, televised speech on July 25th, regarding the incident, Supporters responded with telephone calls and telegrams to newspapers to the Kennedy family. Uh, oh, sorry. Hold up. Okay, cool. I thought I got a call. Um, so, what was I saying? All right. So, like, uh, telephone calls and telegrams to newspapers and to the Kennedy family. They were heavily in favor of remaining in office, and he was re-elected, re-elected in 1970 with 62% of the vote, a margin of nearly half a million votes, but it was down from 74% in the previous election in 1964. Now, as I said before, the incident severely damaged Kennedy's national reputation and his reputation for judgment. One analyst asked, quote, can we really trust them if the Russians come over the ice cap can he make the kind of split-second decisions the astronauts had to make in their landing on the moon? End quote. Before Chappaquiddick, public polls showed that 
the large majority expected Kennedy to run for president in 1972, but after this, he pledged not to run. Further, Kennedy declined to serve as George McGovern's running mate that same year, and in 1974, he pledged not to run in 76, in part because of the renewed media interest in Chappaquiddick. In late 1979, Kennedy announced his candidacy for the president when he challenged President Jimmy Carter for the Democratic nomination in the 1980 election. On November 4, 1979, a CBS, broad, sorry, CBS broadcast uh, had a one-hour television special presented by Roger Mudd titled Teddy. The program consisted of an interview with Kennedy, and the interview was in, uh, interspersed with visual materials. Much of the show was devoted to the Chappaquiddick incident, and during the interview, Mudd questioned Kennedy repeatedly about the incident, at one point accused him of serious political damage on Kennedy. Um, sorry, accused him of lying. Kennedy also gave what one author described as an incoherent and repetitive answer to the question, why do you want him to be president? The program inflicted a lot of serious political damage on Kennedy, and Carter alluded to the Chappaquiddick incident twice in five days. Once declaring that he had not panicked in the crisis, that he had not panicked in the crisis. Uh, as a result, Kennedy lost the Democratic nomination to Carter, who in turn lost that general re uh, election to Ronald Reagan by a landslide. And after the incident, Kennedy went on to re win seven re-elections to the U.S. Senate. And uh, as far as history books go, Kennedy remained a senator until his death in 2009. After his death, New York magazines, uh, New York Time magazine editor Ed Klein stated that Kennedy asked people, "Quote: Have you aired any new jokes at Chappaquiddick? It's not like he didn't feel. And, sorry, end quote. It's not like he didn't feel any remorse about Mary Jo's death. End quote. Klein also argued that quote, but he, but he still always saw the other side of everything and the ridiculous side of things too. End quote. The Dyke Bridge eventually became an unwanted tourist attraction and a tourist attraction and the object of souvenir hunters. And as far as the Chappaquiddick story goes, ladies and gents, that's pretty much it. Um, personally, for me, I think Mary Jo saw something she wasn't supposed to be, so Teddy here had to put her to sleep with the fishies, you know, or. Or maybe they maybe they were getting all hanky panky and uh, I don't know I guess Ted wasn't watching where he was going and you know draw out the bridge, boom, there you go. But Ted Kennedy, an innocent man, I doubt it. I really doubt it. These are Kennedys we're talking about. Sure, they're good looking and whatnot, but hey man, they got their demons. They got the demons, and some, some, some are bigger than you even fucking expect, dude. I mean, you've seen the amount of women. I mean, you've heard, I mean, I don't know how many, but, I mean, man, that boy Jack Kennedy had his mistresses, bro. That boy Jack Kennedy had his hoes all over the place. And, uh, yeah. I think, I think Kennedy is guilty of something. But I'm not sure exactly what. And, you know, we'll probably never get the story because, I mean, they're both dead. Everyone who's alive around that around that time is probably dead by now. So, uh, you know, too bad, too sad. Uh, so before we go, ladies and gents, I want to take a quick... 
I want to take a quick minute and thank you guys all so much for the support. It means a lot, really. So keep it up. And most of all, tell everybody to him on to your dad, to your brother, to your sister. Tell everybody. And feel free to follow us on our Instagram at timeout underscore with underscore Tony podcast. New episodes every Wednesdays and Saturdays. That pretty much concludes it for today's episode. Let me know what you guys think about the Chappaquiddick incident. Do you guys think Ted Kennedy was innocent? Sorry, innocent. Do you think this whole... This whole situation was a misunderstanding. You think you think this was a planned murder? What do you guys think? Let us know by DMing us on our Instagram. Or, yeah, that's the only way to communicate with us. I'm thinking of creating an email. Um, I just don't know. Hmm. We'll let you guys know. But other than that, ladies and gents, it's pretty much it. Thank you guys all so much for watching, and we'll catch you guys next week. Thank you, and don't drink and drive. Okay, show's over. Please get out. Thank you.